Welcome back, my resilient warriors. Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome back to Dub Nation. Guys, this is going to be a great episode of my friend Jeanette. We're going to be talking about some things that are near and dear to my heart. Overcoming anything, especially recovery, you know, drugs, alcohol, relationships, abuse. We're going to be talking about it all. And if you listen to the end of this show, we're, we're going to give you some amazing tips that are going to change your life today. She has an amazing book. I've read it now. I'm going on my fourth time, um, Silent Cry, because I love I love the book. I love everything she's doing. She's got an amazing, uh, she's just totally amazing. Um, so, Jeanette, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing amazing. Very blessed. How are you? Uh, I'm blessed. Like I said, I'm getting ready to go on vacation in, in about an hour. I'm taking my family, and it's amazing how... I say I tell everybody recovery is amazing. I, I got 34 years and I just wrote a big post about this this morning. You know, I, we went out for dinner last night and here I am, my wife, my beautiful children. I'm eating surf and turf and three nice. and three miles away in Nutley, New Jersey. I was homeless and eating out of a garbage can in my addiction. So recovery is amazing. So but it's not about me today. It's about you. So my first question is, what is your definition of resiliency? Well, so um, that's actually my favorite word. Um, I have it tattooed on my arm. Um, it's not only the ability to bounce back, it's bouncing back in the right spot um, for the right intention. Because um, resiliency can also be negative. You know, as we know, um, I was a chronic relapser, so I was resilient as relapsing. Right. So now I'm taking it as a, a form of me um, getting to where I need to be in life, uh, getting closer to God. Uh, I, too, am coming up on 25 years clean. So it's about getting closer to God for me. It's about doing things different. It's about um, acknowledging the ability and not taking for granted the right to bounce back. You know, and I love that. Now, like I, I go, I still go to meetings. I go to NA. I go to AA. I got all, I go to all kind of A meetings. Um, and I tell people that I sponsor that relapse doesn't have to be part of your recovery. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people say because I know a lot of people that relapsed and never came back. Yeah. So you know, I love that you talk about you know that you relapsed but you came back. So if you guys are watching this, relapse doesn't have to be a part of your recovery. So. Just saying, I'm just saying. So now, tell us a little bit about where you come from, where you grew up, um, and how you became the force that you are. Now, you grew up in, in Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm from Bushwick, uh, Brooklyn. Uh, born and raised there. I didn't come to Jersey till I was 32. I was already recovering um, when I came to Jersey. But I had a dysfunctional upbringing, like a lot of us. Um, uh, broken home. Uh, generations of alcoholism and drug addiction. Um, I felt very out of place. Um, I speak in my book. Uh, I was molested at a very young age. So I felt a lot of shame and like I never belonged. Um, and for the majority of my life, um, I fed off of that. Um, and it didn't take till in 98, when I went into detox for the last time, um, everyone always asks, like I said, I was a chronic relapser, and they always ask you, uh, what are you going to do different this time? 
you know, how is this time different? Like you've done this before, you've said this before. Um, I became very good at master manipulation and learning the lingo. So when I spoke to people, they thought I knew what I was talking about. In reality, I didn't know anything. I was just acting as if. Um, and I remember 98, um, in detox, the counselor asked me the right question. And the question was, what is your legacy? And at that moment, I didn't understand that because again, I was brought up in a dysfunctional household and words like that weren't used. Um, and I didn't know how to answer that. And she told me, your legacy is what you leave behind, not a monetary value, but what do you leave behind in the spirits of people that love you? How do you want people to see you when you are no longer here? And I, I tell you that I believe that the Lord spoke to me that day through that person. And that was the first day of the rest of my life. I know um, what I want to leave behind. And I think I'm doing a good job at it. So for me, it's always the end result. Um, I'm also asked a lot, you know, how don't you relapse? What is it that you do? Because I don't go to meetings. I don't do the NAAA. I've done it in the beginning, but I don't. Um, and for me, it's the consequences, you know. I know what my consequences would be should I feed into my past. Or if I listen to that, you know, the, that enemy that sits on my shoulder once in a while and says, hey, nobody will know. The difference is I'll know. The difference is the commitment that I made to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, he'll know. And that to me is more important than anybody else knowing. So I have, a, a, I'm very disciplined in how I live my life today. Okay, so let's hop back a little bit because um, I grew up an abused child. Um, a lot of people that I've interviewed on this show has grown up as abused children. Right. One of my friends, one of my great friends, she's a sister from another mister, Annette Wittenberger. Uh, she grew up um, and she has a podcast called The Truths We Hide Behind. And I'd love to hook you guys up. You guys can would definitely jam together. Yeah. She she was abused as a as a young child. And the reason why I'm bringing it up, because a lot of parents don't even know what to look for. When it, when a child gets abused. And for what she, the way she brought it up, she says a lot of kids, when if they're very outgoing after they get abused, a lot of them go inside, you know, of themselves. Or if they were inside and then they get abused, they start becoming outgoing, gregarious. So when that happened to you, what was it like afterwards? What was your like life like afterwards? You want to know something that's so real about that? Um, and it's scary because I was always quiet. I was always a shy person since I can remember. I was always a shy child. I was a loner um, because of what I saw in my household. So when I was molested, I didn't change. I got deeper into my shell because now I felt ashamed. I felt dirty as though it was my fault. And I wanted somebody to notice, but how do you notice when that's who I was. I was always quiet into myself, right? Um, and amazing about that is my brother forced me to tell my mother um, because 
there was a dysfunctional household. Um, there was a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. So in reality, they weren't paying any mind anyway. Um, and when I told her, what made it worse was that nothing was done. So now, not only do I feel broken and ashamed, I felt worthless. I felt like nobody gave a damn about me, that it was okay. So what I did was I grew up, as I got a little older, um, battled with my sexuality. Um, and that's when the addiction started playing a, a role in my life. So it, it's hard when it doesn't change you in those those examples that you gave. You either become an extrovert or an introvert. It's hard because you're stuck in the middle. Um, and, and that's the way it was for me. All right. Now, and like for me, when I was being abused, um, my solace was learning. My solace was reading. Mm -hmm. My solace was, was books. That's how I hid because, you know, I may not be able to be Superman, but I, but I can read Superman comics and I can read books and get knowledge. That's the way I dealt with it. How did you deal with it? Poetry. I started writing poetry um, as a way of expressing myself. Um, and and that's, that's what got me through a lot, a lot of the ugly. Yeah. So now, you know, as, as you're growing up now that you've gone through the trauma, for me, I didn't want to get close to anybody because I knew if I get close to you, I'm probably going to get hurt. So I'm not going to be close to anybody. And I pretty much became, I became a wild child. I was a, I became, had my first drink at 11, full blown alcoholic at 12. Um, I was just a wild child. So how was your relationships as you started growing up dealing um, with the trauma? So I, um, the first honest, serious relationship I had was with a, a much older woman. She was like, I think she was older than my mother. And I realize now that I was looking for that motherly love in a very a toxic, ugly way. Um, but I've always picked very dysfunctional people. And I know now, again, that I did that because I wanted to focus off of me. Um, I didn't want to be the sense of attention. I didn't want people to focus on me, on trying to get to know me. Um, I was comfortable with people saying, oh, she's just quiet. She's very serious. That's just who she is. And nobody ever really cared enough to try to break through that. And I was comfortable with that at the time. I was comfortable with that. You know, and, that, and that's how I chose my partners, by them having bigger issues than me. And it's an ugly thing to say, but I have to be honest. Um, I have to be honest about that. You know, I picked very broken people so the focus could be taken off of me. And that's how I dealt with it for many years. And, you know, and everybody knows I'm, I'm the most honest person you're going to be. Uh, I got no shame in my game. That's why I wrote the book. Um, been through a lot of relationships. I'm on my third marriage. But I figured out now that I'm the common denominator. Yeah. If there's if if I have all these problems, all these relationship problems, I'm the problem. And I think a lot of us, you know, will place blame on everybody else until Absolutely. we sit down and be like, all right, I'm the issue. It's not everybody else. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, 
so how, how old were you when you really started getting heavy into the drugs and the alcohol and and the relationships um, and stuff? Well, the first time I went into treatment, I was 19. So I would say about 17, I started really getting into it. Um, I was into, I, I saw um, cocaine in my upbringing, um, but I had a very ugly experience with an older man and uh, cocaine was the common denominator. And that, that's where it started. That was, it was a downfall from them. Now, you know, cause like a lot of people will say, you know, well, the person's just an addict. But like we were talking before we came on camera, you know, there's a reason why people become addicts. You know, there's a reason why, um, like for me, it was tr dealing with trauma. I, it was unresolved trauma from when I was growing up. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, they're just an addict or, they're, you know, they're just a drunk. Well, and people don't realize doing drugs or alcohol, it's fun until it becomes not fun, until Absolutely. you actually need it to just make it through the day. Do you agree Absolutely. with that? Absolutely, 100%. 100%. You know, it's, it's funny because we focus so much on the addiction part of the process, right? People always talk about the addiction, or oh, you're a heroin user, or a cocaine addict, or whatever the addiction is. It could be domestic violence, it could be anything. Um, they focus on that, but they don't focus on the why. Why do we do that? Why do we feel that it's okay to be comfortable with living that life rather than fixing it, right? It becomes a norm for us. And you're right, it, it, we just do it just to get through the day. You know, and then eventually, like for me, I had to drink just so I didn't get sick. Just so I, you know, I wasn't shaking and, and trembling. Um, but, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, you know, just quit drinking. It's like, it doesn't work that way. And I just had a friend, his son just passed away because he tried to quit cold turkey and his whole body just shut down. So, so for sorry. me, I, I quit cold turkey because I was looking at five years in prison and it was like, all right, I'm, tw I'm 20 years old. So if I quit now, I'm probably not going to die. But if I don't quit, I'm definitely going to die. Like, and, and in our house, like my house, you know, my wife can sit down after, uh, or like we went out to dinner, the to Tejos the other last night, they have sangria, you know, they got their beers, but, it's not my issue. I just don't drink. Like for me, it's if somebody asks, well, why don't you drink? And I tell them because I drink, I die. That's exactly. it. It's simple. 100% right. You know, and like a lot of, a lot of waiters will come up and they'll be like, can I get you a drink? And I'll joke around and be like, no, I'm allergic to alcohol. I break out in handcuffs, you know, make mm -hmm. them laugh a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, I have wine at my house. I got beer. I have liquor at my house. And I'm like, it's not me. It's not for me. So, to, you know, talk about, because like recovery, people think you're supposed to be boring in recovery. No, it, recovery is amazing. So talk about that a little bit. So recovery is what you make, right? We, we could continue to use excuses or we can move on with life, right? The best thing for me is that I have an amazing family, right? Um, I remember like you were talking about going on vacation. I remember when I couldn't go on vacation. I remember when I used to, I lived in Florida and 
I will go into 7-Eleven and watch parents pay for their children to buy drinks to go to the park. And I'm standing there trying to figure out how am I going to get money for a cup of coffee? Or better yet, I hit a dope because I was sick, right? So today, I actually take my family on vacations because that's what it's about for me today. Um, I no longer have anything in common with the old me. I no longer have anything in common with the things I've done and the places it's taken me. That's no longer an option. So, yeah, I mean, life is great. I mean, you know, I, I get phone calls from my family members just to say, hi, hey, what are you doing? You know, and that's, for me, that was the biggest thing. For me, that's the biggest thing, you know, just building that amazing relationship with my family. And I will admit my circle is very small. So, and that's because I like my privacy. I like my peace. I value that. I don't feel that I need to have hundreds of people around me to feel relevant anymore. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, life is great for me. I am so blessed. I, I remember praying many years ago to be where I am today and I'm here. So I, I'm very fortunate. All right. So before we go any further, because um, I want to dig a little bit deeper, they call me the GI Joe Rogan or the, or the male Oprah. So I want to go a little bit, a little bit deeper. Um, but first I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, without Joe Muriel from Muriel's Trattoria, we would never be speaking today. So I just want to give a big shout out to Joe and, Mer to Joe and Angela. And if you guys, if you love Italian food, make sure you check out down below Muriel's Italian Trattoria. Amazing food made by made with love. And and their mom, his mom actually came off the boat from Italy, literally. And she's the one that's helping cook all the meals. So if you love Italian cooking with love, made with love, check out Muriel's down below. And also, guys, if you know me, um, I love coffee. But when I was going to meetings, all the coffee sucked. So I came out with my own coffee called Vertical Momentum Coffee, where 100% of the proceeds go to help veterans struggling with PTSD and homelessness. So if you love high-energy coffee, not cheap coffee, high-energy coffee, write coffee down below, and I'll, and I'll get that information to you. So, you know, Jeanette, let me ask you a question, because I was 20 years old. I just got locked up. I'm looking at five years and I went to my first meeting, still drunk, at 20 years old. And at that meeting, they told me, you can't hang out with your the people you used to hang out with. You can't go to places that you used to go, go to. You have to change everything by changing nothing. <laughs> so for me, you know, at 20 years old, I had to start my whole life over again. But I can go back to the moment where I decided that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Take us back to the moment when you finally made that decision. I'm sick and tired of sick and tired, and I need to start making better decisions. Um, I was in the bathroom um, of my best friend's house, and I was getting high, and I almost overdosed. Uh, it took her a while to bring me back, and that was the scariest feeling I've ever felt in my life. Um, and from, I would always say, wow, I'm lucky I didn't die. I'm lucky I didn't die. Um, I had to realize at that moment that it was, had nothing to do with love, right? God had been continuously helping me through this and I didn't even know it, right? That same day I called my sister and I said, I, I can't do this. Like, I cannot do this. 
Um, and I'll never forget, it was September, her birthday, September 28th. And I didn't wanna just say it because I've said it. I wanted to do it. So the next morning I got up and I went to detox and it's in, it was in Queens General Hospital in New York. I woke up the, the steepest hill to get to the hospital was at the top. And through the walk, I kept looking back saying, well, I still have time to go back. I still have time to go back. I still have time to go back. And the closer I got to the top, it just made sense that it's not easy to go back. It was going to take me a long time to walk back down that hill. I'm here. Let's do this. And then when the counselor proposed that question to me, like, what am I leaving behind? I knew at that moment that there was no going back for me. I knew, and I say it today, my hair stand, I get passionate about it because I knew at that moment that that would be the last time um, I would ever turn my back on myself. It was about me. All the times I've done it, I didn't realize that it had to be about me. And by the grace of God, 25 years um, in September. One day at a time, um, obviously. Absolutely. You know, but now I go speaking once a month, I go to speak in detoxes, rehabs, jails, wherever they'll have me speak, I'll come and speak. And a lot of them are in there for 30 days. And, you know, getting detox is one thing. But what happens on the 31st day? You know, that's the important stuff, because a lot of people will go to rehab, whether it's cord mandated, whatever it is. They'll get clean for 30 days and then they're back on the streets doing the same stuff, going back uh-huh. to the same people, hanging out. At, you know, I've been told if you go to a barbershop long enough, you're going to get end up getting a haircut, you know. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. so talk to us about, you know, after what life was like after the detox. Um, I chose to go to a residential program because. I did not want to, I knew at that point I had already enough um, knowledge and understanding that I knew, and I had to be honest, that if I would have went back to Brooklyn, I was going to get high. I was going to get high. There was no doubt about it, right? Because um, for the relapse, it's about looking for that first time. So, hey, I'm clean 30 days. I look good. I feel good. I'm clean. Let me go do a hit because I'm looking for that first high. I knew that that's what I was going to do. Um, so I decided to go to a residential program for 18 months. Um, and I did the work this time. I was honest. I spoke about the things that I never spoke about. Um, I had to, I had to put in a hundred percent of the work. You know, I had to stop being lazy and expecting people to tell me the answers. And I had to dig for the answers. Um, when I came out, my sister, and her husband at the time moved to Jersey. And I was like, wow, God is putting the cards in front of me the way it's supposed to be. So I decided to come to Jersey. And, um, and I know that it, it, it had everything to do with me not going back to where I used to go to. I don't socialize with the people I've socialized with before because we have nothing in common. You know? And, and again, like I said, I, I do have a very small circle because I need to feel... I don't want that ugly and negativity around me. I don't feel I deserve to be there anymore. So, you know, by the grace of God, I'm here. I, I came to Jersey and I decided this is it. You know, I, it has to be real. Yeah, and 
and something because as you as you're talking, I'm writing things down because it's yeah. something that I want to hit on. Um, so if if you see me writing something, it's it's not no. because I'm ignoring you. It's because I'm actually writing it down. So we hit on the topics, and something you mentioned was honesty. I knew that I couldn't get clean until I got honest and say, all right, you know, I fucked up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think the problem with a lot of people can't get sober or clean is because they don't want to admit I messed up, you know? And they don't want to be honest with themselves and be like, you're the problem, bro. Or sis, you're the problem. So if you don't get honest, you're never going to get clean. That's my opinion. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. Um, we have to talk about the ugliness in us, right? We have to be real with it because if you're not, you are purposely planning your relapse, right? Because we relapse in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirits way before we actually pick up. And for me, I had to accept that, right? That if I didn't say it all, those secrets were only going to take me back. And as uncomfortable as it was for me, it's uncomfortable to say I was molested by my, you know, grandmother's husband and she didn't do anything about it. My family didn't do anything about it. that. That cuts deep. And every time I spoke about it, it hurt. And I was going through the shame. But there were other people there that helped me through that, that went through the same thing. You know, they were just as afraid as I was. So I didn't feel so much as a prisoner, you know. And without me being able to do that, I can tell you that I would not be sitting here having this conversation with you. Um, I can tell you that I would not have made it out of rehab um, for long. You know, it's about talking about those ugly things, talking about how we manipulated situations. And, you know, it's hard telling, you know, talking about, hey, I used to rob my sister's pad for money. That's devastating. You know, knowing the person I am today, but I had to say, it. I had to hear it to let it go, you know? and. You know, I'm here today and I talk about it all the time, you know, with no shame because it's not who I am today. You know, it's what made me today. Well, and, and, and people that follow me, they know that it's 100% real 100% of the time. If I'm not feeling good, I'm going to put it out. Listen, guys, I'm struggling today. I'm human. I may have a number one best selling book or podcast that's number one, whatever, but I'm human. And I struggle just like everybody else. And it helps people know, wait a minute, if he's struggling, it's mm -hmm. okay. It's okay to be, it's not okay, you know? And I think a lot of people, once we get, or a lot of people, once they get clean or sober, they kind of forget where they come from. Absolutely. For like me, I'll, I'll, I actually, last week, I drove past the crack house that I used to live in parked in the driveway and just sat there and said, Lord, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for me not being there. But I still remember. That's why, like, when we go out to eat, I'll get lobster and steak just to remind me that tw 34 years ago, I used to be eating out of a garbage can. Absolutely. But that's why I do it. Even if I don't want it, that's why I do it. So I can remember, well, that's where you were that's not where you are now. You know what I mean? And I think something you said that's earlier, amazing. you know, imposter syndrome, you know, something you were talking about, you know, and I think that's so important. Like I, I wrote something today, you know, sometimes even though, like I said, with all the success, 
Sometimes I feel I'm lacking as a husband. I'm lacking as a father. And sometimes I don't realize, look where you came from. You know, because I have so focused on, well, I got so far to go where I want to be. And I kind of forget, well, you know, look where you came from. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit, the imposter syndrome and how are the stinking thinking. So, you know, what's crazy. Um, I moved back to Belleville about three years ago. Um, I, when I got clean and everything, I got married about 13 years ago uh, and I moved further south, right? Because I felt that the further away, um, the less I had to deal with on a daily basis as far as, you know, the addiction and seeing people nod on corners. Um, I guess I was still in my own mind a little afraid. I moved back to Belleville and I work in Elizabeth, so I drive you're from Bova, you know, 21 uh, Makata yeah. Highway. Every morning, it doesn't matter if it's five o'clock in the morning, I'm heading to work, seven o'clock, 12 o'clock. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. There's always people on those corners nodding. There's people laying on the street. Um, and I see that every day, every day. And it keeps it so real for me because the enemy's alive and he's gonna test you. And, but my God is, is more alive because I pass through there every day and I thank him for, I would never think of making a left when I should be going right. It's like going from point A to point B. There is no deviation. So I see it and I keep going. I feel for them because I know, I know that there's help, you know, but we can't save everybody. Um, and I do the same thing. I pay my rent a week in advance because there was times when I wasn't able to pay my rent. You know, I'm, I'm proud when I make a car payment, I'm like, oh my God, thank you. I made my car payment. I was able to pay my rent. I was able to do this. I was able to help my niece or my nephew. And it's such an amazing feeling. And I do that for that, you know, and I do think about it. And I do remember when I couldn't do those things. You know, I do remember when I couldn't treat my nieces and nephews to, to a meal. I remember when I couldn't treat myself to a meal. So these are all blessings that keep it so real for me, you know? So yeah, I get it. And you know, I have some family members, I'm not going to say who, um, still in the throes of addiction. And they think, well, I'm just going to move. You know, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I tried to bring out to the point to somebody I had a conversation with the other day, you know, wherever you go, you take you with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can go to the most beautiful, I can go to, Hawaii, and if I'm looking for the dope man, I'm going to find a dope man. So, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm just going to go move somewhere else. Well, no, because you're taking you with you and you're still struggling with that trauma that you haven't dealt with yet. So talk about that. Talking about, you, like you said, you moved, but you went with you. So it didn't matter where you were, right? Absolutely. Yeah, because if you don't do the work on yourself, see, um, anybody can get clean. You can go to detox, you can get clean, you can get the drugs out of your system and you can fake the funk, like we say, you know, or dry drunk, like they say. Um, and you can live life, you can go to work, but if you're still broken inside and you haven't dealt with the things that got you to that place in the first time, in the first place, you're only going to go back to it because it's what you know, it's comfortable, you know? So I had to do a lot of personal growth and I had to turn, come to terms with a lot of things, even about my own character defects, you know, not having anything to do with, you know, being molested, just the person I became because of that, you know, so the drugs are out of my system. I talked about my issues. Now what, 
you know, I had to become wise. I had to educate myself. I had to do things to um, remind me of where I was, but also where I could be, where I want to be. And I had to take steps toward doing that. So, you know, they say all the time, well, just got clean. No, when, when you're clean, um, being clean doesn't mean we don't go through things. You know, I say it all the time. It doesn't mean that death doesn't happen. It doesn't mean the divorce doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that all those ugly things don't happen. They happen. We just learn how to deal with them because we're putting ourselves first, you know, because we are not as selfish as wanting to run away from the pain, but selfish to be strong for other people. And maybe that's all you need in the moment to just not go back to who you were or to do the things you did. So again, you know, you cannot get high, but if you're not doing the work on yourself and you're not loving yourself and appreciating yourself and being proud of yourself and acknowledging yourself for the good. What happened? That's okay. You're, you're back. Um, sometimes computer issues. Oh, well. Um, so now a lot of people I that I've talked to that I, I've, sponsored hundreds probably thousands of people a lot of them struggle in early sobriety because when when you had trauma you use the drugs you use the alcohol to numb the pain and then when you're not using anymore like if my wife's having a bad day she can go pop open a you know a hard iced tea or, or have a, a, a glass of wine you know for me I'm, I got to deal with life on life's terms. Absolutely. And a lot of people struggle with that in early sobriety or, you know, trying to get clean because now you got to deal with all this stuff and you don't have a go-to. And for you, it's it's like me and you, it's, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can always go in prayer. Absolutely. But when you're, when Absolutely. you're, when you're new and in, in recovery, it's totally different. So talk about that. So, it, this also ties in with, like you said, the people, places, and things. You gotta surround yourself with, with positive people, right? And I know that's hard at the beginning, um, but you have to be honest about what it is that you really want to do, right? Because there's always the NA, the rooms, um, AA. Um, there's all type of literature out there. There's, um, especially now with the Instagram and the Facebook and all those platforms that are always um, offering some type of help, right? Um, write it down, journal, express yourself, and then go back and read it and see how it'll change you from the moment you wrote it to the moment you're reading it. Because now you're looking at your issue through different eyes because you already put it down. You know, that, that helps a lot. All right. So, you know, because I, I, like I said, I, I loved your book. I think I'm, I'm actually taking it on, on vacation with me. Um, oh, great. Thank you. But for me, when I wrote my book, it's been, I think it's three years now. It's hit number one twice on Amazon in addiction. Um, a lot of people in the rooms gave me a lot of shit because they're like, well, it's supposed to be anonymous. And I'm like, but a lot of the people that I interact with are never going to step foot in AA or NA or NEA. So for me, I put, because I, I had a, lunch with Gary Vaynerchuk and he told me you need to put your book out and you need to start a podcast because that's the way you can affect more people. Uh -huh. But then when I wrote my book, because 
I'm a low tech redneck, Jeanette, just to let you know. Um, I actually wrote my whole book down on yellow paper and then put it in the computer. Um, but for me, I had to go back. It was very cathartic. It was very uh, cleansing, but it also opened up a lot of scabs, a lot of, you know, and I had to ask a lot of people, you know, did this really happen? I don't remember. Please help me. And then I actually, I actually found out I made a mistake in the book and didn't give somebody credit that actually helped me out, which my dad, I didn't realize he helped bail me out of jail and I never gave him the proper credit. So talk to us about writing your book and what the process was like and what your thought process was like writing that book. So I too um, went through the motions. And so I've been writing since when I was in treatment, I started writing. I started writing my poetry. So if I would have taken everything I've written for the past 25 years and wrote a book, it would have been it would have been like 500 and some pages, right? I like simplicity. Um, so I went through the motions, right? Because I had to put it down on paper, but I was fortunate because I had um, a partner at the time who was helping me with my book, put it together, organize it. So I was able to call him and reach out to him and say, hey, I'm, I'm going through this. Like I, and he would ask me questions like, wow, did this really happen? And so telling him the story, um, a lot of the situations, like I came to realization, like I was exploited at a very young age and I didn't understand that. So even writing it, I came to terms with a lot of things. I realized a lot of things after the, after the fact. Um, but I was very proud of myself for actually having the courage to say, you know what, I'm doing this. I'm gonna be as honest as I could, as raw as I can, because this has to help someone. A lot of people, especially even, well, I was gonna say, especially women, but men too, you know, they go through things like that and they feel the shame and they don't want to talk about it because they're afraid and they're afraid they're going to get judged. Well, I put it out there for you. I put it out there for you. So, you know, but you said earlier that you like to keep your circle small. Absolutely. And, you know, so for sometimes when you become an author, um, your life becomes public. Like I'm a public figure. Like in my town, I'm the one that, that, um, runs it used to be called dare when we were growing up that i'm the one that runs that for the town so and i've decided to become a public figure so um everything i see everything i say or do um i gotta watch out for everything that i say or do because like i i obviously i have a podcast and i have a lot of sponsors mm -hmm. but i had a sponsor once send me um cbd oil and he's like can you use it and sponsor the show? And I'm like, mm -hmm. bro, <laughs> how can I say I'm 34 years in recovery? Yeah. If I'm sitting here saying, okay, you know, I'm sponsored by Smirnoff Vodka and CBD oil. So, you know, for me, once you become, write a book, because a lot of people don't realize once you write a book, the word author is short for authority. So once you write a book, you literally are an authority on what you do. Like for me, if somebody says, well, you know, why should I list, come and list, hear you speak? Because I literally wrote the book on addiction, right? So talk to us about, you know, trying to be a private person, but while also having your book out there and being a public person. So I'm very proud of my book. I, I am very proud of my story, but 
And I've learned um, that I never knew how to do is set boundaries, right? And because of where I came from, I learned how to love from a distance. Um, I wanna, I want people to know me for my story. Um, I'm okay with answering questions. Obviously, I wrote the book, so I know that it's gonna open doors, and I am so comfortable with talking about it. I, I so wanna help. Um, but that doesn't mean that I have to bring you into my home, if that makes any sense. Um, so yeah, I, I had to, through family members, learn how to love from a distance. So I'm okay with doing that. And I'm very transparent. I'm very open. Um, I've had Instagram, I have Facebook, people send me messages all the time. And I love corresponding with them. I love talking to them about my story, how I do it, um, giving advice, but I don't have to bring it home. You know, and I think that's where I draw the line because I still also have to protect my own sanity and not ever forget that because I wrote the book doesn't make me above anyone. Like mm -hmm. I'm doing this because, you know, I want to help everybody get to at least somewhere close to where I am or, or above me, you know? So it's important that I um, set those type of boundaries for myself. Well, and one thing I love about recovery now, because growing up in an Italian household, a lot of it's like growing up in a Spanish household. Um, your family talks shit about you, you know, especially when you're not there. And I know that. Um, but those same people that used to talk shit about me being an addict are now reaching out and say, listen, you know, somebody's struggling. Can you get in touch with them? Can you sit down and talk to them? And I think that's an amazing part of recovery where me, somebody that's, you know, I'm a ninth grade dropout, you know, but somebody that now if they're having a marital issues or they're having addiction issues or whatever, they're calling me up. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the same guy you guys didn't even want to know. I was the black sheep of the family. Exactly. And now you're calling me. <laughs> you know. So but I think that's God working, obviously. So talk about that to where, you know, some of the blessings. That's an amazing, an amazing feeling. Um, that's amazing. And I think at the end of the day, um, that's really what I wanted and what I, why I was doing all this. My niece, Amanda, you interviewed um, a couple of weeks ago. Amazing. Right? Amazing. And her husband um, is awesome. Kids are beautiful. I could not explain or express to you the amazing relationship I have with all of my nieces and my nephews, right? Like I said before, how they call me just to call me, right? Um, I have a nephew who I text at 9.22. Every time I see at 9.22, I text him because I know that's his birthday. It could be any day of the week because I like um, those little things that just belong to us. That's important, you know? Um, I helped Amanda when she was doing her book, you know, we did her book signing and I want to be there hundred percent because they trust me now because they know I'm going to show up because they see the work that I've done and they know where my heart lies. And that's the biggest blessing of all. I, I there's not, I can't even express it. Like my hair stand, I'm talking about it. You know, I mean, my family, they're amazing. They are my support. They are a big part of my foundation. And 25 years is a long time. So my nieces and my nephews saw my struggle. You know, they saw what I went through. They, my older nephew remembers when I was out there. And now he calls me just to talk because he needs advice because he's going through something. 
you know, who'll send me videos or send me songs. And, you know, we have our own little things that we do. And this is why I know that when that monster jumps on my shoulder and says, nobody will know, I would never ever feed into that because of what I have and because of what I have to leave behind that is far more important than one moment of instant gratification. It's just not worth it for me. Okay, now, I, I didn't know I was going to bring this up, but um, I got sober New Year's Eve. So that that's my, January 2nd is my sobriety date. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've talked to a lot, like I said, I sponsor a lot of people. And uh, a lot of people struggle because they get sober and then the holidays come around. And then they're spending Christmas or Thanksgiving with family members and they're struggling with their, they're, they're newly, you know, they're just clean. They're just sober. And then they're sitting around family, you know, well, you can just have one, you know, why not? Why can't you just have one or, or you get some people, if you come from Italian household, Spanish household, they like to start shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Well, like yeah, they'll they say, do. like even I hear it today, you know, you know even I'm, I'm clean 34 years, they'll still say, yeah, you know, well, you were an addict. And then I'll go around the table because sometimes you got to just nip it in the bud and I'll be like, mm-hmm. listen, you know, your marriage is falling apart. You're cheating on your husband. Uh, you can't put your phone down. You're an alcoholic. You can't stop smoking. Just going around the table. So we're all addicts here. It's just mm-hmm. different addiction. You know Absolutely. What I mean? So, you know, talk about early sobriety and trying to deal with family, especially around the holidays, because I th- in, in recovery circles, you know, I think it's from Halloween all the way to New Year's. It's known as hurricane season. Mm-hmm. So talk so about I, that. So um, I've relapsed actually on my birthday because no, in treatment, they never tell you that you're going to want to get high, even when you're happy and in a good mood that you want to, that, you know, they always reiterate, well, you know, it's because of the traumas, the things that you've gone through. But, you know, when I was feeling good, I wanted to get high because I wanted to feel more good, you know? So, but as far as the holidays, I never, my family, I think they were more afraid of what they would say around me, that they didn't want to trigger anything. And they tried very hard to make it as normal as possible, you know, and include me in everything. So I never, I, I can't say that during the holidays, I ever want to, you know, that I ever felt like that. You know, I felt very protective and safe. And I think that's why um, I kept myself around my family for so long, you know, because I wanted to feel that comfort and safe. You know, I, I didn't, I wouldn't know how I would act had I gone to like a bar for New Year's, celebrate New Year's or you know someone else's house to do a holiday i've always spent at home because i know that was safe for me and i wasn't willing to jeopardize um my sobriety by testing the waters so yeah that i've always i'm blessed in that way i have a very supportive family you know and you know they've seen it's only me and my sister um i never had kids as her children so i they've always been very protective since i've gotten clean they've been very protective very protective don't ask me Didi, are you comfortable you know like you know they'll have their little drinks or whatever are you comfortable Didi, are you okay and i'm yeah i'm comfortable like you know to each his own so i'm blessed that i had them to be that aware and that conscious of 
not trying to make me feel uncomfortable, you know? Now, um, for me, um, like I said, got 34 years. My, my wife's very supportive. But even if we go out for dinner and I order a Diet Coke, she still drinks it for me. Mm-hmm. She still tastes it for me. She'll bake cookies without using vanilla extract. She'll get the, the scope mouthwash without the alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. And when I tell that to people in rehab, they're like, oh, come on. And I'm yeah. like, no, that's how important my sobriety is to me. Because if I drink, I die next, and I don't put myself in those situations. So exactly. talk about that a little bit. Do you know making sure that you're protecting and you're protecting yourself? Then you're always on guard. I am always on guard. Um, and like I said, my family is very supportive. I trust wholeheartedly that they would never ever put me in a compromising position. Um, so I live alone. I've been living alone for a long time. So obviously, I control what goes on in my household. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I control where I go, what I do, who I socialize with, and I would not put myself in jeopardy of ever second guessing the choices I've made in the past 25 years. You know, I'm very aware of what's right and wrong, you know, and I'm not at the point where I want to let people down today. So I'm, I'm blessed that I haven't, for the past couple of years, really haven't dealt with anything like that. You know, um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna don't, I, I know what's right and what's wrong, you know? And even if, you know, we do go out to dinner and they do order a pitch of wine, um, I'm okay with you drinking. I don't have to make that choice. You have to make that choice. I'm perfectly fine with the choices I've made today. So I'm, I'm very okay. strict with myself. Okay, you know, because something else, you know, a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, you know, cocaine, you know, heroin. But a lot of people don't realize most people now that are hooked on opioids is because they were prescribed by Mm -hmm. the doctor. So, like, when I had to go for eye surgery and they're like, um, you know, what kind of medicine do you want? I'm like, I can't have anything, to any kind of opioid. I can't have anything that's going to affect affect me that way. And they're like, but most people ask for that. I'm like, I'm not most people. And they kept <laughs> yeah. on reiterating, well, maybe you should try, you know, whatever, fentanyl, probe, whatever. They, and I'm like, no, I, I'm in recovery. Don't you get this? You know, give me Motrin, but you're not giving me anything like that. Because so, I, I know that if you give me one prescription, it's mm-hmm. over. It's a wrap, you know? So talk about even stuff like that, how you got to really think about everything that you're putting in your body. Absolutely. I'm the same way with my doctor. He's very aware. Even if it's even those 25 years, um, you know, when they ask you for your history, I put it. Was a drug addict. I was addicted to heroin. So I will not. Also, the strongest thing, I, the strongest I have in my cabinet is polytylenol because I will not. I am so cautious of any medicine I put in my body. Um, so yeah, I'm very on point with that. And I make it clear from the beginning, like, you know, we want this, we want this because our past was so ugly and hurtful that I don't ever want to go back to that. So it is my responsibility. I I have friends that were addicted because of prescriptions. They knew they were addicted, but they use it as an excuse. I don't need that in my life. I don't need it. I don't need to make excuses. I don't need permission to be the person that I was. So I have to be very on top of what I do and how I do it. 
So yeah, like like you, I'm very on, on point with the, my doctors. They all know I don't hide it. Um, and thank God that they've never really tried to force anything on me that I wasn't comfortable with, but it's my responsibility. It's my so responsibility. Now, your book, like I said, is amazing. You had a play and now it's being adapted into a movie. So talk yes. a little bit about that. I mean, that's so exciting. Talk about that. Yeah, so in 91, uh, I'm sorry, in um, 2001, we did the first play of Signing Cries because for me, it, it was the visual, right? I wanted to be able to see my life unfold, right? Because a lot of times it's not what we say, but it's about what we do mm. and how people see what we do. Um, so we created the play and it was amazing. Um, the best feeling in the world because I finally got to where I thought I wanted to be. Um, and a director, that uh, Deborah Cardona, saw the play um, and offered to bring it to life as far as recording the play and turning it into a movie. And I think that's amazing because it's gonna give me so many other platforms to get my story out um, and show people that this can happen. This is true. We can be at the bottom of the gutter and come to the top. You know, as long as we put the work in and we're honest with ourselves, we can do it. So is that in the works? Is that what you guys are working on? Yeah, we're um, actually start rehearsing uh, next Sunday on the 16th. Right. And whenever you, I want to buy the first ticket, I want to be the first one in line. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Uh, so I just want to say, first of all, I want, I want to give a big shout out to my mayor, Mr. Dan Pronti. Um, he believed in me. He hired me to be the North Arlington Municipal Alliance coordinator. So I just want to say, Dan, you know, thank you for trusting in me. And, uh, and I love you, Dan. But now, the let, you know, before we go, because I, I like that not only are you in recovery, but you're also a person of faith. Because I believe um, if you're not close to God, you're the one that moved. He's always there for you. And you can always go back. So if somebody right now is struggling with their faith, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to find some peace in their life again? Um, pray, read the Bible, reach out. Um, I didn't believe that faith was enough. I thought it was something so simple. Or just by saying I'm, I have faith, God is not going to save me. But it's true. It's true. No one would ever look at me and think, right now that i got baptized two weeks ago you know no one would ever think that no one would ever think that this is where i chose to give my life to the lord you know and as simple as it sounds it really is you truly have to believe and have faith um open up the bible reach out to someone you can reach out to me okay so last question is if somebody is struggling because a lot of people that watch this either are in the throes of addiction or know somebody that's in the throes of addiction. So if somebody is struggling right now with, with addiction or, you know, cause a lot of people don't, they don't think of um, being codependent as an addiction problem. Right. You know, a lot of people don't, you know, spending money, sex addiction. Mm. There's so many different addictions out there. So if somebody is struggling with something, what can they do in the next 24 hours to get some help? Reach out to someone. They have to reach out to someone. They can reach out to me. Um, 
Listen, there's so much help out there. And I say it all the time. Um, I am an open book. I am on Instagram, Facebook, and my book, reach out to me. I will honestly take the time out and walk you through the process. I will listen to you. I will talk to you. I will encourage you to look at you and, and feel work that, I mean, it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's a step. Yep. And I agree. And guys, if you're listening to this and you're struggling and it's an emergency, dial 988 and you'll be able to get help now. So guys, as you know, um, oh, by the way, where do we find your book and how do we get in touch with you? So my book is in my uh, bio on Instagram and Facebook. It's um, silent underscore cries underscore 9298. Uh, they can purchase my book there and they can also follow me and have a lot of nice videos. Okay. Um, so guys, like I said, her Instagram is fire. I just want to say that. Got an amazing Instagram. Uh, make sure you pick up the book. Like I said, I, I'm going on my fourth iteration and I'm bringing it with me on vacation. So make sure you pick it up. Um, guys, you know, I'm a big Joel Osteen guy. I love Joel. And something that I always end every show with, we can either choose to be the victim or the victor. So guys, make sure if you're struggling with anything, choose be the victor. Stop being the victim. Jeanette, thank you so much for hanging out today. I truly appreciate you and I truly appreciate your niece. She was amazing. We definitely have to get together in jam. Thank you for having me. And absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. I love it. So, guys, and remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is butt up. I love you guys. Jeanette, have an amazing week. You too. Enjoy your vacation. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.